is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London own Southampton is Blue podcast. Your host, Dan, here, along with Nick. No, Brandon. Again, doing something else, which is just. It's sad. It's sad, Nick. It hurts my feelings. Sad and selfish, taking time uh, to relax and recharge. Um, as you guys know, that's not what we do here. So, uh, you know, we're going to have a, a quick uh, chat in the locker room with him when he gets back, obviously. But uh, excited to bring back longtime friend of the pod, but uh, infrequent guest. we got to work on that. Uh, Liam Toomey, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be back. I know it's been a while, but... Uh... Yeah, good stuff. Well, I mean, you just had to have a kid. I mean, that's, you know, really been yeah. a, a damper on I mean, I hanging did, out. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did take four months off for that. So that's probably accounts for a large part of the drought. Has there been any story in particular that you've been covering for The Athletic recently um, that, that's taken any of your time <laughs> or <laughs> anything that you'd care to share? Yeah, I mean, just the... Uh, well, I, I did go to Zagreb last weekend um to do my my little Luka Modric Mateo Kovacic piece which Thomas Tuchel promptly ruined by not picking Mateo Kovacic for the first <laughs> leg <laughs> um but no that was quite fun uh, I've never been to Zagreb before and Dinamo uh, people at Dinamo were very helpful and we managed to get a nice piece out of it which I will probably plug ahead of the second leg in the hope that Kovacic actually starts um but other than that of course as you know I'm sure it has been for you ownership central just just a couple of stories couple of podcast episodes yeah. uh minor minor elements of episodes that we've done uh, again the the football on the pitch always takes precedent but look it's chaos and trophies at chelsea always and hopefully we shade in at least one of those trophies nick but we've got a southampton match review to do and we've got a lot of things to get into we've going to talk about tuchel's talks and how the team listen kai being that guy Conte and Kovacic, uh, so that will give Liam an opportunity maybe to plug that piece again. And then other points of order from the match, plus maybe just a couple of quick hits on the bid, because things have happened since we last recorded or talked about it in the midweek and uh, over the weekend. So with that said, let's get in and get the temp check, the heat check with our three-word match reviews, Nick. That's right, taking these over this week, and of of course, there's a lot of great material here, uh, so if you're not included, don't worry about it. There's yeah, days when you score six, there's a, a plethora, if you will, of, of really great reviews. The first one, though, um, we have to give a shout out to producer Jake, who called the Marcus Alonso goal uh, after our Madrid review in midweek. So uh, snacks with Jake the Oracle, um, young buck getting it done. Uh, Gabriel with Big Hero Six, Grizz with Saint Mary Wept, uh, which is good. I like that. Def Jucks Daddy with Ralph Nasenhutl. Okay, I like that. That's good. Uh, Chelsea Youth, Phil, joining the party. Chocolate to celebrate. Uh, Timo on the drugs with Tuchel's Chocolate Factory. Uh, Zarly88 with We Started Blasting. And that's a uh, It's Always Sunny reference for, for those who don't know that show. Uh, and then uh, Adi Joseph, friend of the pod from, uh, from our friends at CBS. Uh, bogey to boogie, uh, three draws and a loss in the previous five matches, Southampton. So whew, lots of good stuff here today. Obviously a six, no win. We'll, we'll bring the best out of folks. Well, Nick, uh, I went with faded the saints in tribute Oof. to our boy Mason with his, uh, wonderful haircut, which apparently <laughs> did a reverse Samson there. So, uh, happy that he was able to start, uh, finding the back of the net again. And what would you go with? Well, I also got a new haircut yesterday, so I'm very excited about that. Though I'm wearing a best hat podcast right now. performance ever coming in. Yep, that's what's yep. happening. So just an all timer, really. Uh, I went with Werner's finishing school. Uh, guy could have had five. So who knows? Uh, what about you, Liam? I've just been trying to come up with one on the fly. Um, oh, I'm going to go with uh, Mount's Portsmouth reckoning. A local lad really, really just hates Southampton, doesn't he? Yeah, he's uh, he, he he certainly plays like this is the biggest game of his season a lot of the time. 
And Timo. They, they really just both hate... Uh, I, I don't know what Mason has told Timo about Southampton, but clearly it's rubbed off on him. Uh, look, we'll get to a couple of quick bit of thanks here before we jump into the full match details, but on Patreon, I want to thank Ali and Zechariah for joining us. Uh, we've got wonderful SW6-ish episodes. Uh, we've got Joe, uh, we've got Phil, we've got Jesse all leaving wonderful comments on in six-ish minutes. Uh, sometimes with Joe, it's 12. Sometimes with Phil, it's half an hour uh just about <laughs> what's going on with the men's women's and the academy teams we've also got a, a mailbag as well and our discord so hey if you haven't done it just jump in and join us uh no apple podcast reviews but hey you know, if we leave a five-star one between now and uh, the next podcast we do we will thank you for it and that would be wonderful and on spotify closing in on nick on the 900 reviews in spotify we are at 4.9 on 884 so 16 more Gets uh, we're so close. All right. So, yeah, by, by the time we record next, let's get that done. Uh, yeah, very excited about that. And get back on Apple Podcasts. We need those two. It helps people find the show, and we appreciate it. And uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't cost you anything. You know, Patreon, a couple bucks. Reviews, free. It's nice. Anyway, match details. The opponent was Southampton. It was this past Saturday, April 9th. It was in the Premier League and at St. Mary's or Stamford Bridge South because we owned it. And it was Chelsea 6, Southampton 0. We had goals from Marcus Alonso in the 8th minute, Mason Mount in the 16th and 54th minute, Timo Werner, 22nd and 49th minute, and Kai Havertz in the 31st minute. Fistan highlights. We'll jump to those now. We thank them for letting us use this clip. So enjoy reliving a 6-0 drubbing, and we'll be right back. Loftus-Cheek overlapping to help out. On Werner goes, and still oh! Timo Werner. He struck the base of the post. Terrific effort. Well, Mount couldn't quite take that under his control. He's, He's done well, though. He's done though. well. And finding off this cheek, looking to square it for Werner. He's hit the crossbar. Timo Werner strikes the frame of the goal for the second time in the opening six minutes. And wanting it again from Loftus cheek. He carries on for now and then floats a brilliant ball into the middle. Turned on by Mount for Marcos Alonso to give Chelsea Get the lead. Well, they've started on the front foot here after twice hitting the frame of the goal. Chelsea have found the back of the net. Southampton nil, Chelsea won. Now Loftus-Cheek, he's found some space again. To work it back to Werner. Broke for Mount, he'll have a crack. Oh, what a goal, Mason Mount. Absolutely phenomenal. His customary goal at St Mary's, third time he scored here. The boyhood Portsmouth fan just loves it on this ground. Now Werner can use his pace here, he's quicker than Bednarek, that was a strange decision from Ward-Prowse. Werner through, around Foster, oh, he's done it this time! Superb Timo Werner! <laughs> and Chelsea have scored three times in the first half of the first half, what a display this is! And Werner's managed to win it back, no foul, Werner going for goal himself, Timo Werner still off the post, Havertz in for four! Extraordinary stuff from Chelsea, who are motoring here. Alonso can thread in Kante here, he's got Werner to his left, he might not need him, and Golo Kante for Werner to tap in for five. How about that? Kante thought he could scoop one over the giant goalkeeper, but he could only pour it out to Werner. It's a great ball from Rudiger. Alonso's cross, could be six, all forced to save it, Werner can't get yes! the hat-trick, but Mount taps in yes! another! This Woo! is incredible, Southampton hit for six, we've not played for an hour yet. Alright Nick, why don't you run us through the lineup real quick? <sighs> the lineup, uh, the lineup, the lineup, the lineup. Look, uh, a lot of surprises here, uh, and I think when you when you look at this lineup, we're going to talk to, uh, to Liam here in a second about what he thought of the lineup when he first saw it. Uh, surprised a little bit uh, myself to see Mendy between the sticks after the calamity that was Wednesday. Rudiger, Christensen, Silva uh, resuming their partnership at the back after a dodgy midweek. Uh, Marcus Alonso coming back into the side, which I thought was pretty predictable. N'Golo Conte, Mateo Kovacic partnering in midfield. It's our best midfield pairing this year. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek playing right wing back just as we all predicted uh, right before the, before the match. Then, of course, you had the triumvirate up top of Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, and Timo Werner, uh, all with goals. Liam, when you saw the team sheet come out, what was your 
initial reactions, particularly after the midweek, the press conferences talking about uh, the conversations that Thomas had to have with the crew, and uh, I think your own reckoning that uh, the way you late night write is maybe the same as the way that Tuchel <laughs> copes with uh, a bad loss. Yeah, I mean, if anything, even more chocolate for me. But um, no, I th- when I saw the team sheet, uh, you always do this little dance with Chelsea now, don't you? Where you're, you're trying to figure out what the system is because Tuchel's mixed it up a little bit more this season and you see someone like Loftus-Cheek in there. Um, that immediately threw the cat among the pigeons for me and it turned out, obviously, it was a, it was a straight swap. Um, Loftus-Cheek at right wing back where we haven't really seen him before. And I think that was primarily because Azpilicueta tested positive for covid um, there was a suggestion, you know, there wasn't a lot of time basically for Chelsea to react to that. And for whatever reason, perhaps Tuchel is, you know, keeping Reese James powder dry for, for Real Madrid where he will absolutely be needed. Um, so I, I could, I could see the logic there, even if it was a bit of a positional experiment. Um, Mendy's an interesting one because yeah, I, I, I can understand this. There might have been an argument to put in Kepper after the mistake that he made against Real Madrid. But you, I always think these decisions are never really straightforward because you're dealing with a goalkeeper's confidence as well. And, mm-hmm. and if, you're, if you're intending to play Mendy for that second leg at the Bernabeu, I, I don't think you want to open yourself up to the suggestion that you've, you've kind of discarded him a few days before and, and the effect that that could possibly have on his confidence. I know Tuchel has mixed and matched... Kepper and Mendy before and made it work but in these specific circumstances maybe he just calculated that he needed to show a bit of faith in Mendy um, and then the unchanged back three maybe he just challenged those guys you know I want to see you play better together um, and and I, I thought Kovacic was a fairly you know a, a, a fairly self evident change to make <laughs> um, I was as I said I was surprised that he didn't start against Real Madrid and not just because it ruined my pre-match piece. Um, <laughs> I, I think he's been Chelsea's best central midfielder this year. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the way he progresses the ball is just excellent and, and ended up having a key role for Chelsea in this game. And then up front, I think it, it just all, my, my initial thoughts were it just all depends what team Verne you get. Um, it, it, you know, if he's, if he decides to be on it, and if the game, if the layout of the game kind of favours him, then Chelsea's attack can look really dynamic and dangerous and create a lot of chances. But if he's if he's just out of rhythm, offside all the time, miscontrolling passes, it, it could have looked a lot worse. But as it was, I think the whole team were on it from the first minute. They got a good start and kicked on from there. Definitely lots of eight, nines, or maybe even tens in terms of player ratings on a scale of one to ten. But the top line stats were Chelsea with 71% possession to the 29% for Southampton. They had one shot on target to R14. They had four shots in total to R24. That's right, 2-4. That is not me making it up. We had uh, getting close to 1,000 touches. We had over uh, 740 passes. We had 29 tackles to their 18. We had four cl- 14 clearances to their 15. Three corners to their 2. One offside, no surprise, to their nil. We had zero yellow cards to their 1. And then 10 fouls conceded. XG on the day, Nick. It was 3.97. To Southampton's 0.52. Uh, this is, I don't understand XG on a day like today. I, I really don't. Like on a day where you can make a legitimate case that Chelsea break the Premier League uh, record for a, a defeat in in the modern era and score ten goals, and three of them come off the post and like from the middle of the box. You're telling me that we had a 3.97 XG. Come on. Well, that gets into the one random stat from Opta Joe, which I just think is incredible that it's on record somewhere. Two plus three. Timo Werner scored (laughs) twice while also hitting the woodwork three times today against Southampton. The first player in Europe's Big Five Leagues to do this since. The fact that another player is wonderful. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for Dortmund. In September of 2017, who had three goals and three woodwork hits, topsy turvy. Liam, the fact so that this that is stat- <laughs> so this is the Thomas Tuchel club, two Thomas oh. Tuchel strikers. 
that's great. Have done this. Yeah, well, that that's an incredible club to belong to. An incredibly specific club. I don't think anyone else will be joining them for quite a while. You hope not. <laughs> I mean, for the love of God, like what? It, that is the most batshit crazy thing to look at. Like, I mean, the fact that all like those were not just like oh, those are kind of glancing off the outside of the post. What those were? We're gonna rattle each post and the crossbar. And just absolutely nail them dead to rights. Like if you had a target and you hit that, you're you're winning. Like it's just incredible. And well, Werner also had one shot that forced the absolutely outrageous save from Fraser Forster as well. Pretty much the only save he made yep. in the game. Uh, he, yeah, he, didn't he have a couple? I, I thought uh, Mount hit one that he that got deflected and he kind of scrambled for it. Doesn't matter, but he yeah. he was by far their best player, and they they leaked six goals, which tells you all you need to know. Well, Nick, you also have your patented and pet shithouse moment of the match, and uh, you could have selected a lot of different examples, but uh, you you came up with one that you feel really good about. Yeah, I it's it's because of the nonchalance of this moment that I picked it. Uh, so on the third post hit from Timo Werner, where he did legitimately all the hard work that a player can do to get the ball in a position to shoot and score smashes it off the post and then Kai without breaking stride just reaches out a foot and just nicely taps it in and then celebrates like he he had not done anything uh it was a tremendous little bit of uh skill and the announcers were really on top of it yesterday that was uh that was a really fun moment. Oh, is it, wasn't it more fun, though, that someone tweeted at us the Miami Heat LeBron James dunking <laughs> with Dwayne Wade celebrating like he had got it in? That was a brilliant... I forgot who did that. I'll have to find him and shout him out before the end of the show. But we, uh, in our... Uh, yeah, Liam has a heat check uh, sweatshirt on. That's fun. Uh, we had a, a lot of fun in our in our Tinkerman group chat with that one. So uh, thank you to whoever did that. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to get into everything about the match in just a moment. We're going to take our really quick break and, uh, yeah, thank the sponsor for supporting the show. All right, our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well, it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in. You know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and, and fat. And now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable, resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it, it, it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, Nick, a couple more pods coming this week, and then we will let the people know what they are and then get into the match review. Yes. At some point, there will be a CPO and CST, that's the Chelsea Supporters Trust and Chelsea Pitch Owners update. We're uh, a little loose on the recording time for that as of right now, uh, but we will get that done and across the line for you guys. And it's really just a, a show to to hear from Chidge and Chris Isaac about all the developments around the sale, obviously, and, and how both organizations are feeling. So we wanted to get that represented here. Uh, we're also playing Real Madrid again. I'm not sure if you have realized that yet, but that's uh, that's coming at you Wednesday. And then, of course, any news that breaks, we're going to do our best to bring you uh, live commentary uh, from Nizar Kinsella, who's 
promised to do a bat signal pod for us if things get crazy. So um, lots of stuff going on this week. Should be a fun one. Well, we will talk about the fact now that Tuchel talked and the team listened. And Liam, how was this for a response? It feels like a pretty good response to a not-so-nice maybe set of words that he leveled at the feet of the players. Yeah, I think it was as emphatic as it needed to be, um, particularly after two matches. You know, Tuchel wanted this response against Real Madrid. So um, I think that was highlighted in his anger after that game. The sense I get is that the team meeting wasn't quite that tone. It was a bit more, you know, how do we fix this um, and, and put things right. But it was still Tuchel doing most of the talking. Um, and I think they put most of those things into into operation against Southampton, who it must be said were very accommodating opponents in, in the way that only a Ralph Hasenhurtle team on a bad day can be. You know, we've seen the Southampton team lose 9-0 um, and suffer some incredibly heavy defeats. When they when they are not on it, they are very much there for the taking for a top team. So I think it was a bit of a perfect storm. Chelsea had a point to prove. Uh, Southampton didn't have didn't really have anything to play for and didn't have didn't have that usual edge to their play. They of course didn't have Armando Breuer either, um, who might have made Chelsea think a little bit at the other end of the pitch. And it just snowballed, didn't it? Uh, from from the early wave of goals, Chelsea never felt in danger. They relaxed, and and that's when I think they play their best attacking football. Well, Nick, we we did have quotes from Thomas Tuchel uh, on the response. He talked about the player on the players to live up to how they played, and they did that in an impressive manner today. Now it's time to move on from what we found makes us strong. Now we keep going. And he said, "I think this tells us that we are not the team to escape with the results if our input isn't ninety percent of the commitment and investment. We are a special group when we have our priorities right." I mean, I, I don't know why they chose the midweek to uh, to not live up to that ninety percent, but um, hopefully. You know, hopefully a match like this is a kicking off point, right? That you're able to maybe extinguish the bad vibes and incorporate some new good vibes into the team for a little while. And, you know, it's not as if the end uh, run to the season isn't doable for Chelsea. I think there's a lot of, of very winnable matches, both in the league, the FA Cup semifinal. And, you know, who knows if, if Real Madrid are as accommodating as Southampton, maybe there's a bit of a miracle in Madrid, but, uh, it's, I, I think it's clear that the Brentford match and the Real Madrid match, Liam, were not up to standard by any way that Tuchel holds his team, uh, to, to be accountable. And, you know, it's, it's just odd. Sometimes there are blips like that in professional sports and you just don't know why. Yeah. Especially over the course of an extremely long season and, it's it's particularly disappointing for a coach like Tuchel when it happens in a big moment that really matters. You know, the, the Brentford game in isolation might have been almost the perfect time to have a performance like that because, you know, it, 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 it should focus the minds ahead of the more important matches to come, but it, it didn't. Um, Real Madrid, I think, came to Stamford Bridge and showed more intensity than Chelsea, which is something that Tuchel would never accept you know that that underpinned last season's Champions League win the fact that Chelsea was so intense so committed to the details when it came to their tactical organization the, the collective pressing it's what made them so difficult even for other top teams to deal with and they just didn't do that high enough at a high enough level against um, Real Madrid you know the Brentford game that can happen it happened last season against against West Brom albeit they weren't exactly the same games but you know that that in isolation is is forgivable, but I think if if you do it in a game as big a, a, as the Real Madrid one, then you have serious questions to answer. And and the response was the response against Southampton was the bare minimum required. Liam, you bring you know, it's an interesting point, just like that at Sanford Bridge in a way. Uh, obviously, we've kind of set uh, our own record again um, for seven away wins now, and our away record in the league. 11 3 and 2 and then the home record 7 5 and 2. Any thoughts on maybe just what the the challenge has been at home is it just the everything else surrounding the Chelsea vortex at the moment or <laughs> what, what's your hypothesis there? Well the thing that immediately strikes me with those records is the the draw column 
Um, you know, there are there are definitely a couple of games that stick in the mind at Stamford Bridge this year. I mean, I remember Brighton mm-hmm. um, at home for one, where Chelsea were they'd either be completely frustrated by um, teams that set up defensively, or they'd score once but not really put the game away. Uh, Everton at home as well was another one. A very limited and struggling Everton team somehow came out with a 1-1 draw. Um, And those were the games that basically cost Chelsea a Premier League title challenge because Manchester City won every game in December and just went disappeared over the horizon and every draw was effectively like a defeat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that that's what really strikes it for me, the fact that Chelsea haven't quite been as ruthless at home. And the, those games are different because you are more often challenged to make the game. You know, even if, even if teams, even if lesser teams on their own home pitches... Um, you know, tactically set up to frustrate you when they're roared on by their own fans, they can be drawn into a bit more of a proactive game. When it's at your stadium, you know, they can, uh, they tend to be a lot more disciplined to their game plan. Uh, and, and you have to find a way to, to break it. And I think there was particularly a stretch just before Christmas where Chelsea weren't good enough at doing that at home. So you know, with the match, that we're talking about Southampton match the wonderful six nil victory here Nick I don't know if you remember uh, we won six to nothing uh, Tuchel did comment on the tactics saying we expected a four four two and both number six to be high pressing so we wanted to find Mason in a bit of open position between the lines a different role for the wing backs we expected to be an aggressive four four two so let's talk about as Tuchel mentioned it Mason having uh, a wonderful day uh, as uh, as our friend Joe was mentioning we're calling him Brayson with the wonderful day that he had in finding the net and also uh, assisting others too. Yeah, important day for for Mason obviously. Um stats prove out that he was he was pretty pretty dominant uh, in the way that we played. 100% shot accuracy, 3 of 3, 80% ground duels, 1 4 out of 5, 52 touches, uh eight ball recoveries, two goals scored, one chance created, one assist, up to 18 Goal contributions in the league this season, and I believe that is the third overall uh, behind Salah and someone son. else. Yes, human son. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, so yeah, uh, pretty impressive uh, on the day. And I think this uh, Liam to me was an important performance for Mason because this has you know 2022 has not necessarily been his best uh overall from from a level perspective um so i i think you know getting back in the saddle with a couple of goals dominating the attacking play creating a lot of space uh interchanging with ruben really well um i think just overall play here was super important heading into tuesday yeah absolutely um and i was really impressed actually by his assist for alonso I think it showed really, really good improvisational, you know, ability and just having the awareness that Alonso was behind him and in space. Um, I I think, I think there's a a hell of a lot of room for growth in Mount's game. You know, it's not something you often hear people talk about because he, you know, he is so consistent with his effort and his intensity in terms of his pressing. But I think technically, in terms of his final third impact, he he's getting better and better incrementally each season, and now the stats actually bear that out. You know, I think he he he's got a good chance of getting into double figures for goals and assists, and that's a really good milestone um, and something I think he's been targeting for a while. Um, and as you said, yeah, I think he did need a performance like this as well because he, while the effort and the in- intensity is always there, that final third impact maybe hasn't been there quite to the same degree in the last few months. Um, but he, he, he does, he does always use space really well. He often drifts wide and links up really well with whatever wing back happens to be there. He's just very, very smart at, at knowing where his teammates are, where he can leverage um, space to create advantages. And it's just about, I think, you know, more consistently recognizing those opportunities to, to, play teammates in on goal and further improving his decision making in the final third because that can still be sometimes not as not as consistent as I'm sure he wants it to be um, but that's 
usually par for the course for young players, even really talented ones. So I think, yeah, great game for Mount, one of his best games of the season. And I'm sure he'll be hoping it's a harbinger of things to come. And I'm sure Tuchel will be too, because it's been a consistent theme of Tuchel's time that in all the big games Mount has played. Is is the haircut, Dan, do you think the haircut is the real story here or are we missing it? Well, he got asked about it. He got asked about it and said <laughs> the hair was getting in his eyes. And so this was important to free him up to be able to see. So look, I don't care what he needs to do. He's just getting it done. When you think about the fact and looking at just Chelsea in the Premier League performances this season, Mason Mount is very firmly on the top of the per 90 goals plus assists minus PKs at 0.84 per 90. Uh, and uh, the next two, uh, two players who have not featured nearly enough uh, this season in Reese James at 0.79 and Ben Chilwell at 0.67. Uh, that's right, or two wingbacks out of our top three for uh, goal contributions per 90 minutes. And then it goes to Kai Havertz, Hakim Ziyech, and Mateo Kovacic uh, rounding out that grouping there. Um this is a this is a, I think it is a good sign though. I think it is a good sign that you're seeing Mason, even though he hasn't maybe been consistent as he has in other seasons. The fact that he's finding some new peaks that are maybe a little bit higher than some of the standard performances he had last season, as you pointed out, Liam, two more assists in the league get him to the uh, the, the the footballing equivalent of a double double and uh, this would be a very nice thing for him to do and to build upon particularly if something can be turned in the Real Madrid match that we have coming up midweek and if the Palace game coming up at the FA Cup semifinal if Mason can have a similar outing in both of those games you know Tuchel and the team are going to favor or you know potentially their chances. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, 10 goals, 10 assists is, has always been and will always be a, a really good benchmark uh, mm-hmm. for an attacking midfielder in the Premier League, even with the way that goals seem to have inflated in recent years. Um, I think it's still a really good sign that an attacking midfielder is is having a great contribution. And uh, particularly a club like Chelsea, where there's so much rotation of those positions. You know, you're not necessarily, I know Mount starts more often than not, but he's not necessarily playing every game. Uh, And he has had an ankle injury in the last couple of months as well. Um, So, yeah, I think that's really good. He will be absolutely itching to to impact this game at the Bernabeu. He scored against Real Madrid last year, a key goal that basically put the tie away. Um, And, yeah, I think he, you know, he, you saw how much he, even more than some of the other players relished the Champions League win uh, and, and celebrated on the pitch in Porto. So I think he, he wants that feeling again. And even though they've got a, a big hill to climb now, uh, I don't. I think he'll be one of the ones that will be really egging them on heading into that second leg. Well, Nick, we, we knew a couple of things about the celebrations on the pitch at Porto. And uh, look, you know, maybe someone else who hopefully would relish that opportunity, particularly after their unique uh, two club, two plus three uh, <laughs> grouping, uh, Obama Yang and Turbo Timo with his goals. This is uh, this was the performance he needed, potentially. Sure. I mean, uh, yeah, it, this is the weirdest, like, two-goal thing to talk about. It was, it started off comical, right? You miss four easy chances uh, pretty much straight away. And then you you do get fortunate on a couple of goals. Um, you know, the first coming from James Ward-Prowse heading back and over the head of his defender and then Timo able to kind of clean up and break away from the Southampton defense and, uh, you know, ni- nicely rounded Fraser Forrester uh, for, for his first goal. And then obviously N'Golo Conte trying to chip Forrester, which is hard to do because he's nine, 19 feet tall. Um, and then getting the rebound and being able to, to slot it home. Um, you know, I, like, I think most people understand my position on Timo. I'm not going to, to drag him on a day where he scored two goals, but there's, there's a lot of work to do here still. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I think I think that's my overall take on it. Uh, Liam, as we saw from the stat line here, Timo Werner has now scored more goals versus Southampton five than every other Premier League club combined. That's not a good number. Uh, four. Uh, he has the five versus Southampton, one versus Burnley, one versus Newcastle, one versus Sheffield United, and one versus West Ham. So it's made up fifty six percent of his Premier League goals. He hates him, Liam. He hates him. <laughs> I think I, I think they play like a Bundesliga team. And they turn the match into a Bundesliga match. And, and that really suits Werner. I mean, that is kind of the crux of all of this, really. What uh, a huge reason why he's struggled so much in the Premier League is that you see his, the first goal that he scores in that game. How many opportunities has he had to just run through on goal beyond the high line? Um, and just round a goalkeeper and score? He scored loads of goals like that for RB Leipzig. And he just hasn't had many opportunities to do that for Chelsea because it's just low block after low block. And so um, thanks to Ralph Hasenhutl, I think, uh, <laughs> is, is the main takeaway from this. You know, it, Timo Werner, he, he really, really thrives in those environments. And I think if there's a disappointment for Chelsea, it's that he, he hasn't proven to be hugely versatile. Uh, in terms of the different types of opponents that he can thrive against, we know that he he's he's always going to be a selfless runner, um, and he's he's always going to have to be accounted for by a defensive team. But he's just not a threat in the same way. And I think that's probably why, when you're looking ahead to the summer and thinking about, you see, Chelsea incomings are anyone's guess at this point with the whole ownership situation. But if you're looking at outgoings with forwards. He's, prob- he's probably at the top of the list for players that could be heading out and, and potentially Lukaku too, just because they're they're so obviously um, bad fits for the way the rest of this team plays. Well, one player who has not been a bad fit as we switch to Kai being that guy, and maybe a little conversation about the midfield, but uh, one German is shining very, very bright on the pitch for Chelsea, and that's Kai Havertz. And uh, Liam, I know you wrote a, a pretty extensive piece for him uh, a, a while ago now, it feels like, but uh, just in general, how are you enjoying the way that Kai has started to become the central point and Tuchel has kind of seemingly anointed him as the player that he's going to trust in his attacking system uh, first and foremost. Honestly, I think he's won that argument on his own merit. I'm I'm not even sure that Tuchel has kind of consciously leaned into it. I think he's just played. He's played Havertz a few times and Havertz's performances have dictated that he continues to start and when he's been starting he's generally been scoring and not just scoring um, but providing a focal point for better attacking performances he's he's so smart spatially in terms of the positions that he takes up when when he's playing as a, a conventional number nine but also when he's when he's dropping deep and linking play um, he makes the guys around him better because he, he he finds the right pockets of space, he creates space for other other people, um, and increasingly when he gets chances, he takes them. That was that was the thing last season that was really missing was that, you know, when I when I watched clips of him at Leverkusen, I can't pretend to have watched him every week at Leverkusen, but I did watch a lot of footage of him for a piece that I did before he got to Chelsea, and he can be a remarkably composed finisher, um, and we we didn't see that enough last season I think we're seeing it a lot more now including that Southampton goal because it's underrated how composed he was that ball came rocketed back off the post and he he barely moved and just flattened out his foot and and tapped it in Um, yeah above all it's just really good to see what is a super talented footballer um, begin to show the full range of his talents in England. I, I always thought he was too talented and also too physically gifted because sometimes you can see that in the Premier League of a talented player who maybe just isn't physically right for the league. But he always had the physical tools as well. So it was just a question of him finding the right role in a team um, and and really just adapting. And I think that's happened now. And he's got to the point where another reason why Chelsea might be prepared to let Lukaku go is because they know that Havertz has kind of morphed into a hyper-modern number nine um, who can lead this team. And and then you're just kind of finding pieces to go around him. Maybe it's Armando Breuer. Ooh, 
Ooh, that's a that's a spicy little take there, Mr. Nick Ferlani. But anyway, you look at some of the underlying numbers too. Uh, you know, you're you're about to have Kai Havertz uh, in another one appearance, one full ninety. Will have surpassed the amount of minutes he played the entirety of last season in the Premier League. Is at fourteen forty to fifteen twenty from last season. Uh, last season he had four goals and three assists. Obviously he had his uh, challenges with uh, COVID and injury. Up to seven goals and two assists. Uh, so nice little improvement there. Uh, and then in total for the current season, uh, 12 goals and four assists across all competitions and nine goals and seven assists last season. So uh, very much a not only current moment, uh, the past couple matches where he's just continued to find the back of the net, but just in terms of a season over season improvement, he is definitely uh, rising to the challenge. Yeah. Uh, yesterday's performance obviously uh, was a little bit different. Um, when you look at the way that he was really playing as like a decoy for Werner to get the ball a lot of the game. And, you know, he was playing out wide or he was coming uh, centrally to receive the ball and then quickly, and I and I emphasize quickly, moving the ball along so that, you know, Southampton can kind of lock in on, on one of the front three. And it was a brilliant performance that, of course, wasn't highlighted by the same amount of goals that the Timo had, but his movement was really fantastic. And uh, I'm just really I'm pleased for him because he works hard. Uh, this is not a player who you see walking around the pitch or complaining or head down often. I, I really appreciate that from a player. And uh, I also have appreciated how physical he's become uh, in the second half of this season. I think at, at points last year, you were seeing a guy who wasn't physically ready to play in the Premier League. Uh, and to be fair, a lot of players coming over from the Bundesliga, Bundesliga get a uh, rude awakening to how physical the Premier League is. But he has uh, started to really embrace that side of his game and has gone in for challenges that I didn't think he could win and won them and uh, started uh, talking smack to people who were, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more stout in, in uh, the way that they're assembled uh, and doesn't seem to be phased by any of that. And the more swagger that he has, the better he plays, uh, the more pissed off he becomes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think... I'll take the intangible part of his game there, Liam. But I, you know, I'm I'm really really pleased for him. Yeah, it's been great to see. I think he's blossoming as a character in the Premier League mm. as well as as a as a player. And um, and like I said, I, I just think Chelsea's whole attack. When you saw what won them the last the Champions League last season, obviously they didn't have a single reliable goal scorer, but they had such fluid positional interchange um, in possession, out of possession. And Havertz's ability to play the nine or play either of the roles either side, I think, is uh, is crucial to that. Um, and his ability to tactically understand the game wherever he happens to be on the pitch, I think, makes a huge difference. And the fact, that, like you said, he works hard. Uh, there, there was there seemed to be a strange narrative at the beginning of last season to kind of paint him as as a Messer Özil type figure. Um, because he's because he's left footed and slightly languid in terms of his style. Um, I, I never, I never understood it, but people were making that comparison at least from the start. Number one, Özil always ran more than people gave him credit for. But number two, um, you know, Havertz has always been a really hard worker. He he came from a really high pressing environment at Leverkusen. They're one of the top pressing teams in the Bundesliga, um, and he's he's always had that attitude that he's prepared to really graft for the team. I think it was on his debut against Brighton, wasn't it? He he charged back forty yards to to make a tackle in his mm-hmm. own box, and then had to be subbed off because he, <laughs> he was completely gassed. But that you know that's the kind of character, and when you've got that character to go with the talent that he has, um, I, you know there, there's not too many ways you can fail. Well, the uh, I think uh, Mason, Kai, and Timo were all supported by uh, some wonderful midfield play as well. I mean, you think uh, just taking a look at some of the passing charts for uh, Conte and Kovacic, uh, they look like a uh, wonderful smattering of uh, completed passes, progressive passes, and uh, just a whole whole smorgasbord here, Nick, of a uh, really wonderful combination between the two of them. Whether it's Conte winning it back or kind of playing it forward into wonderful spaces or Kovacic continuing to 
distribute quickly, uh, just expediting play. It was, uh, yeah, they, they seem like they're finding this incredible bounce that uh, hopefully continues into midweek. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is the best midfield pairing at Chelsea this season. Um, Kovacic, as Liam rightly pointed out, is the, the best midfielder at Chelsea right now. Um, and so, yeah, you need both of these guys on their game uh, and and maybe a third in midfield to cope with Real Madrid's midfield. I mean, they were at extraordinary uh, last week, and I think you have to be at the top of your game in these big Champions League games. But uh, yesterday it was nice to see Liam Ingolo um, get a little bit more involved, progressing the ball, moving forward, and not lose the shape. Uh, I think that's been a bit of a problem over the last few weeks with him is I don't know if his legs are gone or if or if he's just having a bad run of form as well. But we've lost shape a lot. We've been countered relentlessly, especially over the last week. And that didn't really happen yesterday. There were a couple of tiny blips, but he was able to interchange with Ruben and Mason and Kai really well. Obviously had the, the chip shot that almost went in and blasted another one a little bit wide. But uh, he he had more of a complete performance yesterday, and I was really happy to see that. Chelsea need the real Kante at mm. this at this stage of the season. You you think back to the level that he ascended to, um, maybe actually the best stretch of his career at Chelsea in the in the final couple of months of last season to win man of the match in both legs against Real Madrid and and then the Champions League final. He's not been at that level for most of this year, and some of it's understandable. You know, he he's getting older. Um, it was a busy summer for everyone. I think that's affected Jorginho actually more than any of the others because Italy went all the way in the Euros. I think he's been playing with back pain for a significant part of this season as well. And he's not got the you know inherent athletic tools to be able to necessarily battle through that and 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 still meet the meet the level. Um, but with Kante, you know, I, I watched back some footage for a piece I'm writing ahead of the second leg against Real Madrid of the game in Madrid last season and he was actually the difference in terms of what he did on the ball his ability to break forward in midfield really just completely broke Madrid's structure every single time he did it they didn't know what to do um, and we haven't seen that from him for a little while so if he if he can balance that with still being able to get through the, the defensive work like he you know Chelsea's midfield generally didn't get close enough to Madrid's midfield in that first leg and Kante was actually part of that. He, he made a few mistakes um, and Kroos, Modric, Casemiro, they all appear to be playing better than they were this time last season. And they're, they're all just far too good to give any sort of space to. If you give them space, they'll turn and pick a, pick a great pass into one of the best number nines in the world and, and a super informed winger. So yeah, Chelsea, Chelsea need Kante back to his best. Um, if they're going to have any chance of turning this Champions League tie around. Well, Chelsea have plenty of wonderful stories happening on the pitch, at least after this game, and we could go on and on about a 6-0 victory. But let's shift gears just a touch, because uh, we have you on, Liam, and one of your wonderful uh, you know, colleagues at The Athletic dropped a bit of news uh, right before the, the weekend got started here. And uh, maybe go through a couple of the highlights and just what's going on with the bid before we kind of round out this episode. But Ken Rosenthal reporting that the Dodgers principal owner, Mark Walter, joining the bid to buy Chelsea led by Todd Bowley. That was the big news that dropped at the end of the week, which definitely changes maybe some of the complexion around the Bowley bid, particularly as he had you know attended the Real Madrid match, was having the meeting with Paul Cannaville on the Friday how how do you see things shaping up at this point? It's like a billionaire transfer window, isn't it? Um, <laughs> we just keep getting more. We keep getting more and more of these names suddenly attaching themselves to these various consortiums. Apart from Team Paluca, which we still have absolutely no idea um, <laughs> about beyond beyond his headline name. Um, I think we are going to see significant movement now in the next in the next week or so. The deadline for final bids was pushed back, but. It, it will be this week. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with why we're hearing these names of, of people getting added to bids. I think while it's not technically a bidding war, it kind of is. Um, it, it isn't, you know, the best bit that it isn't the highest bid wins necessarily, but I think 
you know, in the in the sort of tussle to try and prove themselves as the best bid, um, the price is rising, and the price of the overall package that 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 these consortiums are trying to pitch in terms of what they might do with the stadium and the investment in the team, um, that's all that's all growing, and hopefully, you know it's all ultimately to the benefit of Chelsea and that whoever comes out of this process, it just means that there's more money involved to, to invest in the infrastructure and the squad um, to make sure that Chelsea are not just competitive on this level in the short term, but sustainably competitive at this level in the long term, which is not something that they've, they've been without Abramovich's um, without Abramovich as, as one of the biggest benefactors in European football for 19 years. Um, but it's still not clear who will win. Um, I think that the, the, the mere fact that the, the Ricketts-Griffin bid has made the shortlist, despite the extent of the fan mobilisation against them, should tell you all you need to know about how the strength of their offer is considered internally by Chelsea, by the Rain Group. Um, by the principal parties involved so they certainly cannot be written off it doesn't mean they'll win but they are clearly serious contenders but you know Todd Bowley Hans-Jörg Weiss they were pretty much the first names to ever be mentioned in this process and they appear to be at the front they appear to have been at the front of it ever since Um, so yeah it's too early to say who will win but I think the the more names we hear attached to these consortiums it's probably good news because it means more money, maybe more know-how in terms of running sports teams um, and just more investment on and off the pitch. Can you uh, can you give us a sense of your opinion of this process and how it's gone on? I mean, like, you know, we've talked to Matt and Nazar about, you know, their, their thoughts, but I, you know, I think we'd be remiss without asking a person who covers the craziness, what they, what they thought of the, the entire process and, and how it could end up here in the next week or two. Well, it's been very confusing um, and not not particularly transparent, but it's all relative because most football club takeovers aren't transparent at all. We don't hear about them until it happens. You know, when, when Abramovich bought Chelsea, obviously it was a completely different era, no social media or anything, but nobody even knew who Abramovich was until he was, until the press release basically was put out to say, yeah, Ken Bates has sold Chelsea to this Russian billionaire, um, and even you know mo- most takeovers are are pretty much only analysed after the fact. So the fact that we are getting to do this at all is is quite interesting and probably better for Chelsea fans because it's given them an opportunity to make their preferences known, good and bad. It's given the opportunity for Chelsea fan groups. Um, to exert some pressure, the right kinds of pressure. And I think, you know, Chelsea Supporters Trust, Chelsea pitch owners have been excellent at this, have really proactive, um, you know, not just issuing forceful press releases from the outside, but also meeting with the bidders and making their points in person to to, to try to ensure that their interests are represented. So I, I, this this process is completely unprecedented in football. We've never seen a situation like this, a kind of forced sale of a frozen asset <laughs> Um, and, a, and a very public, what has turned out to be a very public auction um, with yeah. so many, so many different bidders involved. So I, I can't, I haven't been able to predict it at any stage and I don't expect I'll be able to predict how it ends. But um, it's been interesting. It's been certainly frustrating, a frustrating story in some ways. But I think um, there probably has been as much as you think it hasn't been particularly transparent, it probably still has been more transparent than your average uh, Premier League takeover. Definitely is a different prism to look through it uh, through when you think about the relations to other clubs and how it is uh, maybe more opaque in the uh, the way that they're handled previously. Um, Liam, when you think about the you know what's happened over the last week, you know with uh, the, the individual parties meeting. The club, meeting officials from the club, uh, you know the the Ricketts bid, and then also the Bully bid meeting with Paul Canneville. What's your take, or what's your understanding on how maybe some of the meetings have gone? I guess everybody probably is saying, "Oh, it went great," because that's you know what you do when you're trying to win the the narrative as much as you're trying to win the bid. But any 
inkling of how things have gone for maybe I would say call them the two primary bids at this point? Well, I think partly it depends who you listen to. You know, if you if you ask the bid teams, they they will probably give you the uh, the glossed version. Um, I you know the the sense I've got from the fan groups is that you know they're they're, they're trying to box a bit clever here um, because. They, you know, they don't want to be seen to be lobbying for or against any bids, and I think that's completely understandable because who they don't necessarily control who wins this process, and whoever does win, they have to work with. Um, so it's not just you know people sounding off on Twitter can say whatever they want, and and people can get hashtags and and you know and launch, and that that's great. That's a you know that's a different form of of fan mobilization. But when you're talking about these official fan groups, particularly something like the Supporters Trust. They have a. They will have a role in this process, regardless of who wins. Um, so they have a responsibility to maintain a sort of productive dialogue with everyone, regardless of how they're perceived within the fan base. Um, so uh, you know, you can see from the statements that the supporters trust have issued, they they will take some convincing from the Ricketts bid. They they have not been entirely convinced in terms of uh, you know the, their ability to run a, a diverse and inclusive. An inclusive and successful, wasn't it? It was the language they used, club. Um, and I think, you know, I think things have maybe been more positive with Team Bowley because there aren't the same questions on that front with Team Bowley. But again, it, if the Ricketts team win, um, that will be something that supporters trust and CPO um, will have to will have to navigate, and they'll have to they'll have to cultivate good relationships for the benefit of Chelsea primarily. The one interesting thing about all of it is that Team Paliuka's had no contact with anyone. Uh, and and everyone I speak to is just completely nonplussed about this. Like we we know nothing about this bid. They've made the they've made the final shortlist. So we we can only assume that they've got enough liquidity and sort of proof of funding and you know, Rain had so many bids to choose from that you you can't imagine that Paliuka would have got through into the final four and like a women of prayer he must have a serious plan but no one knows about it no one no no one's even briefing um he, he doesn't even seem to be investing in any pr so far so it's it's very strange um broughton is is kind of moving a little bit lower profile but that's partly because josh harris and david blitzer are involved at crystal palace and don't really want to deal with the public scrutiny of having their names out there even though their names are out there <laughs> uh so they're, Pretty they're kind of yeah they're out yeah, there <laughs> yeah so I, th- I think they're kind of a little bit hamstrung by that um it's been interesting to see todd bowley be a bit more visible in the last week or so it feels like those two bids in particular i mean the the, the ricketts family you know have, have certainly made a big effort coming back to london um if it, it I think we're going to see a final push from a few of these bid teams privately to rain, but also publicly in terms of trying to get a little bit of a, a little bit of goodwill. Are, are you hearing the same thing that the due date for final bids has been pushed a week? I don't know if it's a week, um, but, but I mean, it, Wednesday, Matt Slater. Right? Oh, is it Wednesday now? Okay. Uh, yeah, Matt, Matt Slater, my colleague, our, our sports business guru, he's kind of leading our reporting on this. So I, I defer to him, but I know it's been pushed back a few days and they've been given a bit of extra time. And I don't think that's a big problem for Chelsea. As long as everything is everything that needs to be done is done before May 31st, which is when the special licence that the UK government have issued expires. Um, I think I think there's there's no real problem here. Um, and also, I think that would be a good. That's quite a good cut-off date for all this. To it's quite a good deadline for this whole process because it means new owners will be in place in time for the summer. Uh, so Chelsea can actually talk about re-signing some players who may, you know, may be set to be free agents on July first, and also maybe even talk about buying some footballers. Um, so yeah, May thirty first is quite a good quite a good deadline i think everyone involved wants to stick to it well uh nick we we did also have uh, first comments from uh, ken griffin and also dan gilbert new individual as part of the ricky ricketts family investment uh group that is uh leading the bid even though not leading the cash uh griffin can chelsea get sorry can chelsea get evan mobley is that if they win the bid (laughs) can chelsea just 
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's just toss him in, you know, as, as a, as a sweetener. Um, yeah. So Griffin obviously is the, the real serious money guy between, uh, they're both serious money guys. Let's, let's just yeah. be fair that yeah. when you're over 20 billion in net assets, you, you're a serious money yeah. guy. So Griffith, obviously, with um, Citadel, Gilbert, with uh, who runs a large majority, I think, of the, the Quicken Ro- loans. Rocket Mortgage is yeah, yeah, the yeah. thing about it. Yep. So both huge billionaires. Uh, Griffin says, I'm thrilled to come together with my longtime friends and partners, the Ricketts family and Dan Gilbert, who have built uh, legendary championship teams. Mm. Uh, all of us love to compete, and even more, we love to win. Our group will work closely to put the most competitive team on the pitch every year. If selected, we will validate the trust placed in us to continue Chelsea's winning tradition while delivering a terrific game day experience for the fans. Uh, Dan Gilbert goes on to say, Rock Entertainment Group will approach the bid for Chelsea with the same philosophy as we operate our other professional sports teams with, uh, an open mind and listening ear to the fan base ample investment and an unwavering commitment to both winning on the pitch and serving the community. So those are the quotes, Dan, uh, thoughts. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're words, uh, you know, all of it is going to be tied back to action. Um, I, I, what I would say is kind of in the, the researching of Dan Gilbert in particular, uh, not, uh, you know, obviously his comic sans letter to, uh, LeBron James for leaving the first time, uh, notwithstanding, uh, also has has done some good kind of within the like the, the Jewish community, particularly in the, the city of Detroit and has been recognized uh, for that. And so if you were thinking about what is a at least positive thing from this bid now, um, I actually think it seems like they benefit from at least some of the social element of uh, Dan Gilbert's side um, of his inclusion in this conversation. And yeah, maybe he's the most likely to continue forward some of the anti-Semitic work that has been done uh, by Chelsea um, in kind of the, the Abramovich era. So just in, in general, uh, I mean, again, there, there's a whole lot that needs to be revealed still, uh, particularly with that bid. Like, who is the primary shareholder? Like, the Ricketts essentially have become, like, the managers for their bosses. <laughs> like, that's just a really weird place for it to be, Liam. There's the, the same thing with the bully bit, too, understanding – you know, who is the primary stakeholder? Like, how much contribution does everybody have? Like, I think we'd like that transparency. I don't know if we're going to get it, but that would be maybe where we need to go next. Yeah, I think we'll get it when everything's said and done um, and when a final bid is chosen. I think then we'll get a little bit more clarity. We might not get, you know, a, an exhaustive list of percentages of all the owners, but we will at least know who the majority shareholder is, I think. The interesting thing about the Ricketts bid is that, yeah, if they're not going to be the majority shareholders, then what? They're just the, as you say, the the, the front men. The, in some ways, the the least suitable front men, given how problematic they've been from a PR point of view. It's a very strange choice. I, I mean, it's obviously because I think, you know, Ken Griffin has no experience as a sports owner, so you'd see why he would defer to the Ricketts experience with the Chicago Cubs, particularly if he's got an existing relationship with them for them to maybe lead the way and him to just kind of provide some liquidity. Dan Gilbert, of course, does have a bit more experience as a sports owner, not all of it good. Um, But yeah, I I do think we will get more transparency across these bids um, as we get a bit closer. We might, we might never know uh, any more about team Paluka than we do now. But with the with the others, I think we, we will get a little bit more of a sense and we'll get more names, I'm sure, um, coming to the fore. You know, there are even suggestions that the the South Korean money that was part of Nick Candy's um, bid is still in the frame somewhere. Uh, we just don't know which consortium they're a part of. Uh, so there, there, there are lots of whispers like this going around, which hopefully will be either proven or disproven before this process is over. The, the only thing I take umbrage with uh, from the statements is built legendary championship teams. Uh, the Cubs did win the World Series the first time in 108 years uh, back in 2016. And the Cavs have been uh, bottom of the NBA for a very long time, uh, especially post LeBron. But they, they won one championship in, I think, 57 years. Um, well, Dan, so, Dan Gilbert's greatest achievement was LeBron yeah. James being born in Akron, wasn't it? Yeah, essentially, yeah. Um, there was no rigging of the NBA process to get him to Cleveland. 
at all. Don't don't buy into that. So yeah, they're they're not exactly like serial winners, is all I'm saying here. Like that you they haven't really been competitive for some time. No, but Vivek Ranadive is apparently involved in Martin Broughton's bid, so that that would be a whole other level of uh that would US be worse. Sports owner dysfunction. <laughs> it would certainly be worse, yes. Well, let's wrap this one up because, uh, you know, we're, we're recording this before the Liverpool City game. And I think uh, we'd like to watch uh, how that goes down uh, and dream about what may happen next season as uh, Chelsea get bought, get invested in and challenge for the title. But Dan, the match for this one came down to a little bit of a photo finish here. Nick Verlaine, it was 45, per, 40, sorry, 46, 47 percent, 47 percent for Mason Mount, 42 percent for... Timo Werner, and then uh, a little bit of helping of 5% for Kovacic and Havertz uh, on the day. So, uh, yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the I think the folks got it right. Well, good for them. The folks uh, also potentially know what happened around the league this weekend. Newcastle beating Wolves 1-0. Spurs drumming on Aston Villa 4-0 to continue their top four charge. It was Leeds 3-0, Chelsea 6-0 uh, over Southampton and over Watford, uh, respectively, in those matches. Uh, this this must be a mistake. I see Brighton winning 2-1 over Arsenal. I was told that the title challenge was on. The late surge of the season was <laughs> happening. Arteta, manager of the month. What happened? What happened? <laughs> Arsenal are who we thought they were. And, uh, look, the minute they have played a good team this season, or even a competitive team this season... They're not it. They don't have it. I, I promise. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it odd one for sure. Uh, other other results from this morning, obviously. Brentford continuing just an incredibly strong run uh, against London teams, 2-0 over West Ham. Uh, Leicester beating Palace, a bit of a surprise because they've been shaky. Uh, Norwich beating Burnley. Yes. Uh, Burnley, please go down. And now we if have. If I'm City going Liverpool. down, you're coming down with me. <laughs> <laughs> Just grab that ankle and, and charge him to the bottom. Uh, yeah, and then City Liverpool. So uh, it's been an it's been a really odd weekend of Premier League results, Liam. Uh, very strange. Yeah, and overall a very good set of results for Chelsea in terms of consolidating third place. And it continues the uh, it continues the trend of Antonio Conte doing what Antonio Conte does. And Tottenham, he's turned Tottenham. In, back into a respectable um, team on the pitch again. And it looks like now they are firm favourites to get that fourth place. But that's why that, that Southampton result was so important for Chelsea, because it just, they were they were one bad result away from having to look over their shoulders. And now that, that kind of goes away. Um, at the other end of the table, I mean, that those two results, Everton beating Manchester United and then Burnley losing to Norwich, just absolutely devastating for for Sean Sean Dyche. I mean this could well be the weekend the relegation battle died. Um and actually if you were if you're a believer in karma maybe the moment it died was when Sean Dyche did his post-match interview after Burnley beat Everton and and said and revealed he told his players at half time I'm not sure these can win a game lads. Um Oof. that 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 felt like a uh Oof. that yeah, that felt like a particularly brazen thing to say. Uh, <laughs> when your at, team's at in the, the relegation At the zone. time. Come on. Well, it, it, it felt like a pretty brazen attempt at mind games, um, and it's backfired pretty spectacularly pretty quickly. Well, you know what didn't backfire was bringing back Liam Toomey to have a wonderful conversation about this win, about what's going on in the club, get a little bit of a life update at the beginning too. But Liam, it was so great to have you back and to be chatting about Chelsea and uh, at least for us, because we're doing this over video, uh, getting a chance to see your wonderful face. So thank you very much for spending some time with us today. No, great to be back, guys. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. All right, Nick, any final thought before we drop? Nope. <laughs> I'm out of thoughts. There we go. That is it. (laughs) So we appreciate everybody listening. Plenty more pods coming out this week. And uh, until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.